0: Free my mind, open my heart with the whispers of truth to live a conscious life, to live a conscious life on the, on the growing edge. And now, here's Awi.
1: Hello and welcome to Growing Edge Live. We are so happy to be here today, and we, I mean my beautiful guest today, James Mellon, who you are going to meet in just a little while, and my producer, Michael. Hey, Michael. Uh, Growing Edge Life is all about inspiring minds, healing hearts, and transforming lives. And we talk to beautiful people from all walks of life that are soul-centered and Channeling their time, their talent, their resources, their energy, their creativity, their passions, their love. They're channeling it all to doing really good work in the world. So you're going to meet today, and if you watch the past recordings or join me next week and beyond, you're going to meet incredible people that are really heart-centered, that are people of high consciousness, and they're making a difference in the world. And I have these conversations because I know that sharing this kind of these kind of stories from these individuals, these particular people that have learned how to um, live in principle and have a deep connection to the universe. They really know how to manifest what's in their heart and what's most important to them and more importantly to manifest and be a uh, creative individual so those are the conversations we're having and we're going to have a really great one today but before I get started um, as usual I like to have my segment called Ask Ali and today I have a question that has been sent in from Joanne and Joanne says how do you write a powerful affirmation? Mine don't seem to work; they feel flat and lifeless. Well, Joanne, thanks for this question. Sometimes we think that you know affirmations are old school, or maybe they don't work. They're just a um, sort of a, a old trendy metaphysical um, tool that isn't as um, powerful as some of the the new things that people seem to be doing but affirmations aren't. Affirmations are timeless affirmations are powerful. Affirmations can help us connect with our soul, our higher self, with infinite intelligence, with source energy and so something that I love to do that really brings life into my affirmations. And I do this every January. And so it's called, for me, it's called a sole purpose statement. And so I put together, I I identify some words that I associate with a time that I was in the flow, or really on fire with, with my dreams, my visions. And so I, I identify some words. And I go through a little sort of process, um, in my meditation, to identify these words. And this year, my words were exuberance, gratitude, unconditional love, creativity, channel, serve, and evolve. So now, that's a lot of words, and you're probably thinking, my goodness, how can you put all of those into an affirmation? Well, believe me, I did. Um, And those words for me came out of me kind of going back to a time remembering a time where I was in a creative flow and for me it happened to be when I'm painting now I'm an artist and I love to paint and the whole point of my painting is to bring the invisible into life into form and so I'm recollecting back to this time where I'm I'm in that creative moment and and I also love to create art to support others in greeting cards and um, framed pieces of art. And so I'm always thinking when I'm painting, when I'm in that creative flow, that I'm in tune with something greater than me, that I am in tune with my muse, the, a creative spark and impulse to create uh, the maybe the, the me that's beyond this physical me. That part of me that has already lived this life and knows how it all turns out. And so I tune into that part of me knowing that what I'm going to paint, what I'm going to bring into form is actually going to support someone. It could be maybe through a card that they received. It could be a, a painting that they bought of mine. And that's got going to hang in their house so it's going to sit on their their mantle and it's going to support them where they are whether it's uh, giving them positive inspiration or just making them feel a sense of someone cares about me They sent me a card. So these are these are things that help me bring Meaning to the words I chose and this is important. So when you're creating an affirmation choose words that light you up that lift you up that Get that creative energy going because we're connecting our heart with our mind and our heart and our mind with the physical world. This is the uh, creative process that I'm talking about. And so I formed those words. I played with them for a few weeks and it's only what, January the 15th. So I've had 15 days to work with these words and this is what I, I jumbled together I put in the dream cauldron, I like to call it. So I'm stirring the dream cauldron with all of these words, exuberance, gratitude, unconditional love, creativity, channel, service, evolution. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to stir this, I'm going to stir it. And what's going to emerge? What's going to come forth? What's going to be my blessing, which is my affirmation or my sole purpose statement or my mantra? So you do that. Think about the words that you connect with the time of feeling really on fire with your life, really grounded in yourself, really connected to the universe, and then throw them in that dream cauldron, stir it up, and then sit with it. Let it percolate. Let it come into form. So here it is. Here's my affirmation. I am grounded in grace and overflowing with exuberance and gratitude. I give unconditional love to my relationships and my work. May I be a channel of blessings as I live, serve, and evolve. Now, that's not flat, and that has a whole lot of energy in in it. It also has, it's packed with all the information, all the instructions that I need in order to actualize, materialize that. I'm grounded in grace and overflowing with exuberance and gratitude. I give unconditional love to my relationships and my work. May I be a channel of blessings as I live, serve, and evolve, boom. Now that is a powerful affirmation that is full of life. So I've done this every year For eight or so years, my husband and I do this. We have a statement that we make together as well that has become a touchstone for us. And every year when I have the opportunity to create, every January, create a new affirmation for myself, a new mantra, I feel so excited for what's about to come forth, what I'm tuning into, connecting with, because none of us are alone in this thing called life. We're all in this thing together, we're all creating something beautiful and when we wake up to the fact that we are powerful, co-creative channels, blessings, blessings unbound, blessings come forth and bless our lives, miracles unfold, why? Because we've built up our consciousness. We are living above the line. We have the eyes to see. We have the heart to receive. And we have the hands to take it out in the world and share it. That is the law of circulation. So it's all working together. I hope, Joanne, that this supports you in creating a beautiful purpose statement for yourself. An affirmation that is full of life. And so, if you want support with this, I, I um, we have a video that I recorded on January 1, that walks you through this whole process. You can find it at uh, Satya Center on YouTube, and, or at New Thought Media Network. Uh, you can go to their YouTube channel and find it there. So peace and blessings to you, Joanne. Thank you so much for Uh, Asking this really important questions, affirmations are still powerful, they're still relevant, and the more we can use them in our everyday life, the more our life expands. So, mm, peace and blessings. And if you want to pose a question that I can uh, tune into and and share some of my thoughts and insights, you can send that to growingedgelive at gmail.com. All right, so now we are moving into my most favorite part of my show, and that is having a conversation with a a beautiful being. And um, some of you know that I'm uh, working on the Enneagram. I'm in a year-long training for this, and as an Enneagram 4 that leans towards the 5, Enneagram 4 with a 5 wing, it really serves me to do a lot of research and study and get information. And I've been doing that with this amazing book of my guests, the five questions we're going to dive into it. And that four part of me loves to go deep, loves to make connections, loves to connect with unique and uh, special people. And we're all unique and special, but you know, that's just a four thing. So I gonna tell you, I'm, not, I'm going to read this because this, man's bio is it's, it's so much more powerful than i could you know add lib so dr james is an ordained religious science minister with over 18 years of service to his spiritual community there he is Hi. <laughs> global truth center in los angeles california which he founded as well as the spiritual center of the desert in palm desert california both communities foster and support creative Creativity and a thirst for wisdom, a respect for people everywhere, combining arts with spirituality is Dr. James' primary focus. His personal vision statement is enlightenment through entertainment. He is expanding and exploring new ways to teach principle through music, drama, art, dance, and all forms of artistic expression. Prior to becoming a minister, Dr. James had a successful career in the entertainment industry, which included Broadway, television, music, and film. He has written for television, film, and has three original musicals published for which he has written the book, music, and lyrics. His first book, Mental Muscle, 16 Weeks of Spiritual Boot Camp, has gone through three printings and is being used by many centers and workshops around the world. On a personal note, Dr. James and his husband, Broadway producer and actor Kevin Bailey, have been together more than 30 years. Their son, William, is attending Texas State University, majoring in directing and screenwriting. And their daughter, Nora, Will's twin sister, made her transition in 2018 and continues providing the family with her love, light and guidance. And Dr. James has just written a brand new book, as I just showed you, and that is the five questions. So welcome, James, to Growing Edge Live. I am really excited to have you on the show. We recently were together um, in uh, Unity Village for the affiliated New Thought Network retreat. And you were there not only as uh, a keynote, but you were there every day, enjoying the rich um, content and experiencing that beautiful campus. And we had several conversations, and you met my husband Michael. Yep. And I met your uh, <clears throat> the person you brought with you from from your spiritual community. And, yeah, it was a beautiful time. So nice to see you again.
0: Oh, it's and, great to see you. I've been looking forward to, to sitting and talking to you for a while now.
1: Yeah, yeah, me too. And, you know, reading your bio and um, reading your book yesterday, I, I worked through the five questions. And so I have a really, mm-hmm. um, you know, really kind of raw at the moment with the experience of all of that, yeah. and I really love to connect with my guests and the the you know what they've created, as well as get a sense of who I'm talking to um, on a deeper level. And and reading your book and your journey with losing your daughter Nora um, has just just left me really excited to, to connect with you and just really kind of you know, recollecting a lot of my experience because I too uh, lost, we lost our son, Adam, in 2018. And so, you know, we'll get to more of that later on. For now, I'd love my guests to meet you and get to know you a little bit by you sharing, how did you get to be, like reading your bio, how did you get to be there? That that doesn't happen <laughs> by chance. All of that does not right.
0: happen. <clears throat> so well, you know, to be- you know, I I grew up in Philadelphia and uh, from the, my earliest memories, I was a dancer, a singer, a dancer. I was a, I just was always a, you know, a, a comedian. I was always the 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 class clown. And I, when I got into high school, I was starring in all the musicals and it was pretty clear that I was going to have some form of career in entertainment. And but I went to college uh, to LaSalle University in Philadelphia. I went to college for uh, I went on an acting scholarship, but I was really focusing on psychology for some reason. I was like, I wanted to be I, I really wanted to know how the mind works. You know, I wanted to know the the subconscious thoughts of people. and And then my mother died as I was entering my junior year of college, and i I had this catharsis of like, wait, what am I doing? Why am I?" why am i still in philadelphia i'm 20 i think i was 20 she died when i was 19 actually um and i was like no i'm 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 leaving and so my dad said great do it i moved to new york and within a few years i was um uh starring on broadway and it's not that i i didn't have the training because i kind of studied it, you know, hackneyed throughout my youth. But when I got to New York, I just acting, singing, dancing, I went full throttle and had a very successful career as an actor. And then in the 1980s, um, I was starring in uh, 42nd Street, the Broadway musical 42nd Street. And my best friend got very, very sick. No one knew what it was. All of a sudden, we're all wearing spaceship, space suits to go visit him. And He was one of the first people any of us ever knew that died of AIDS. And when that happened, and everything shifted in New York City, everything shifted in all of our lives. It was like, what is going on? Um, I started writing. And so I wrote my first musical and it was called An Unfinished Song. Mm. And it was about a life cut short. Now in the musical, he dies of cancer, not AIDS. Um, And the whole catharsis is a gay man dying of cancer. It's just presumed that it was AIDS back then. If you die of anything young back then, you have AIDS. Um, And it was a really powerful journey for me. So that opened off Broadway. Then I was really more, oh, I really should write more. I should direct. And I got very interested in the business, moved out to L.A. to do that musical, signed by the top agency as a director, writer, actor. And then I met this teacher, Dr. David Walker, who was teaching the science of mind. And as soon as he spoke, uh, something hit me and I was just like, oh my God, this is the truth. I'd been to Unity, I'd been studying with Eric Butterworth actually in New York City the whole time and Mm. it all felt very fluid. But when I heard religious science through Ernest Holmes' voice, Everything that the Fillmore's had taught in unity suddenly had a a, a more expansive understanding for me. So I just started taking classes, but I was still acting and directing and writing. And now suddenly I'm a practitioner. Then all of a sudden I study to be a minister. Most of it was just like, oh, you know what? That'll be fun. Let me be a minister. And then I could give lectures. that would be fun (laughs) while I'm acting. (laughs) And then one summer at a at a retreat at a Silomar in Monterey, California, I'm sitting in this room where Ernest Holmes used to speak and someone was speaking and this you know how this happens where this wave of energy hits you and you're like oh my god I need to open a church. <laughs> and I I called my husband and I was like Kevin now both of us are like these vibrant actor director producers in the business and having an amazing career and I call him from Monterey and I was like, honey, I'm gonna open a church. And he without missing a beat, he went, No, you're not. <laughs> we are not doing that to our life. I said, no, I gotta, I think I have to open a church. And you know, reluctantly he supported me. And but instead of opening a church, I bought a theater. We bought a theater, this gorgeous theater in North Hollywood, California. And we opened what was called the NoHo Arts Center. The church was called the NoHo Arts Center for New Thought. Hmm. And the the theater company was called Open at the Top, which was Ernest Holmes' autobiography. (laughs) And so for 15 years, we ran one of the most successful theaters in Los Angeles, producing musicals and plays and, and every Sunday, sunday service without without missing a beat every sunday and we became over overflowing with members because as you said earlier and thank you for that uh, introduction my mission statement my my vision statement rather was enlightenment through entertainment so i was not going to stop acting i was not going to stop directing and dancing and choreographing and writing but i was also going to be a minister so i have managed all these years to combine all of this into one um, very fun career. So that's really how I ended up where I am. And even my daughter, um, my children grew up in the theater. And there's a section in the book where I talk about the day she couldn't find the words to a song that she was on stage performing in front of a sold out audience. And I was running the lights and Oh my God, you know, this is apparent. I was up in the booth running the lights and she's standing there with deer in the headlights. And I was like, what do I do? What, what I do? I can't help her. It was just awful. And all of a sudden she clicked in and went back in and I had like zoomed the lights and try to find her on stage. And she got back on point. And after the show, she said to me, she said, oh my God, dad, did you see me up there? I couldn't remember. I said, yes, I did see you up there. I said, I was trying to follow you with the spotlight. And she was like, she's like, well, Dad, I said, I felt helpless. I couldn't help you up there. And she goes, Dad, you know what? You're just going to have to get used to the fact that you're not always going to be able to help me. I'm going to have to do things myself. And I have to tell you, fast forward 10 years when she was 19 or more than 10 years, and I'm in an intensive care unit and she's in a coma. And we we kind of knew what was coming. I, I flashed onto that moment and I thought, I could hear her saying, Dad, um, you're not always going to be able to help me and I'm going to have to do it myself. And one of the questions in the five questions is what wants me to release it? And in that moment, I was like, okay, I can release you to what you need to do and I can stop." trying so hard to make this turn out the way I want it to. So it was quite a learning thing. So there you go. That's how I got where I am. And I use it all. I, I, I use everything I can do to get this message out there that that you are the very essence of this universal energy.
1: Yeah. What an amazing journey you've been on. And you know, uh, it, it feels like a, a roller coaster. It feels alive and dynamic as you talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then when you talk about being there in the ICU, you know, it sort of like really takes takes one down to reality. And, you know, I want to talk about that in you know, a little while, like how grief and shock and um, traumas can really intensify our attention and our clarity and our awareness. And so I won't talk about that, but I want to get back to this, you know, your, your story in, in regards to your evolution, your, the way, now I read your book and heard that you grew up Irish Catholic. And and so, (laughs) you know, so, you know, how did you reconcile? Then, then I hear you talk about Butterworth and then I hear you talk, you know, go to LA and you start, studying um of mind and so how did that kind of tie in together how did you reconcile this you know this this god that's you know not letting you into the kingdom unless you do certain things or behave in a certain way or whatever
0: well with... and if you realize you're gay wow good luck getting <laughs> into heaven yeah it's like as a catholic yeah
1: so Although the so
0: new hope's you... a little better The new Pope's getting a little better with this issue, yeah.
1: Yeah. So how, so where are you now? How, can you walk us through, like, you know, when you first were introduced to Unity teachings or Butterworth and, you know, metaphysics and, you know, how that kind of affected your view of the the old God and then, you know, how it's, how you, are are you a mystic? You know, I want to know, like, do you have (laughs) mystical experiences? You know, tell me all about that. I do.
0: Well, you know, Okay. As a young boy, I was a devout Catholic. I mean, you would see me every morning at 6 a.m. carrying my missal, my my prayer book, on my way to early morning mass before I went to grade school. I mean, that's how much of a Catholic I was. And I had an amazing relationship with Jesus and God the Father and the Blessed Mother and all the saints. It was all, all the pomp and circumstance of the Catholic Church really worked for me. Um, and then i went to high school and i had thought i was going to become a franciscan priest and you know you get into high school and hormones start to rage and you start to become <laughs> more interested in some other things and i was a very equal opportunity um employer when it came to dating i was uh, i had many girlfriends many boyfriends i i was, I was very much ahead of my, my time i was so i was so fluid i was like barely visible it was like i was everywhere <laughs> and so i went off so i decided of obviously i'm not going to be a priest cuz the catholic church i just it didn't have any i didn't have a place to put myself my sexuality i had nowhere to put my sexuality in the catholic church then i went to an all boys catholic college cuz my parents were very you're going to catholic school you're going to catholic school i had a i had a scholarship to temple university one of the top acting schools in the country my mother was like you're not going to a public school, you're going to a Catholic college. So I went to the Catholic college. And um, and then as I said, she died. And when she died, I was like, you know what, I'm done. Move to New York City. But I moved to New York City. And one of the first things I did, I found the Catholic church that I was going to be a part of, because mm. I was Catholic still. And I went to a church called St. Gregory the Great. And they instantly hired me to teach morality classes to the public school kids. So just think about this. I am a young actor in New York, bisexual, not sure of where I was going sexually, teaching morality to public (laughs) school kids at the Catholic Church. And now I'm starring on Broadway and West Side Story, and my head's exploding. I'm like, where am I going with all of this? And I was madly in love with this, my first male lover. And I was like, I'm living with him. And so I had to go find something because I had such a spiritual drive in me because I was going to be a priest and now I'm, I, I'm going to be a Broadway star. And, and then I was a Broadway star and had, a, had, had boyfriends and, and girlfriends. And it was when I came back from playing Jesus. Now, this is my favorite story. I get this part of Jesus in Jesus Christ Superstar and I'm out on the road playing Jesus. And I'm like, this is so weird. I'm playing like my hero. And and it's the worst part in the show, by the way. Jesus is the worst character in the show because he has to be so sweet most of the time. And so there's not a lot of drama and until the end. And then he's just a, kind of a body that they t- pull around the stage. <clears throat> I come back and a friend said, you wanna go see um, this guy, Eric Butterworth? I go to see Eric Butterworth and the very first day I go to the Unity, to to, um, uh, Avery Fisher Hall. He says that thing, uh, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And I'm sitting there going, oh my God, he's talking to me. And then he gave a lecture on following your heart. Changed my whole life. I was, I was therefore at Unity for the next three, four years um, until I moved to LA to do my musical and heard Science of Mind. So and and now I'm in, when I'm in science of mind I'm like oh, maybe I can be a priest in science of mind <laughs> <laughs> yeah. because because I can still have my sexuality at that time I was already with my husband and now we're together like thirty five years and I'm with my husband and um and it kind of just happened so when you think priest spirituality moving over to a, a a Christian unity was much more Christian to me than science of mind is even. And then going from christianity to quantum which is where i am now i know that was your question where are you now yeah. i'm now into what i call quantum metaphysical so understanding from a scientific standpoint who are we at the basic level and um it's kind of where i am i teach these great classes in quantum metaphysics and uh and we can talk a little bit about that i think you and i can talk about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's
1: do it. Well, we can jump off for a minute and take a yes. break. We'll see you on the other side.
0: Okay. Free my mind, open my heart with the whispers of truth to live a conscious life, to live a conscious life on the growing edge. On the growing edge. And now. Here's Ali.
1: We're back.
0: That was okay, so it's cool. So,
1: it's so wonderful to um, hear your story and and how you got to be you and and I'm I'm so glad that we sort of went back, circled back a little bit to to draw out that mystical thread, which yeah, I just love that. I myself felt. Um, very connected to the mystical side of life when I was a, a young one, and so I'm always intrigued as to, especially with colleagues that have have dedicated their, you know, that are ordained ministers that have you know made that commitment to being, I'll say, a channel of blessings, mm-hmm. um, and so I I want to you know in honoring that. And then, having just read your book, your new book, I want to—I'd love you to talk a little bit about how all of that experience that you've had, on and off Broadway, building, you know, learning and growing, in, in metaphysics and quantum, the world of quantum, um, and how that all formulated to become the, the, this book, the Five Questions, and how you know, it, it has actually, so I want to talk you to talk about your five questions um, and how they've evolved and grown. And let's end up with, where are you now with that? Is there like, <clears throat> is it, is there something else that's give, come through that or you've given birth to so, something new from those five questions that, that you're moving forward with?
0: That's a great question. Um... You know the five questions when i opened the center i i don't think any of us are 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 really prepared for what it is to open a brand new spiritual center a new church and it had a life of its own and it i've now been the spiritual director of the global truth center for over 20 years and so running the church and a vibrant successful theater company it was interesting when we opened the church was very small but they came out of the woodwork to be with me as an actor to be to be to be part of a a theater community and then it switched all of a sudden the church grew 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 and the theater company was smaller than the church and then they morphed people were like wow i what is it you teach and they i'd suddenly see the actors showing up on sunday mornings um so this kept evolving and I'm one of those people that thinks the best way to teach is through experience. You know, I, I, I can teach all the words and I can teach the books and I have, but unless I experience it, unless I'm actually living it, uh, I can't really teach it because you teach something by showing how it works. And so I'm all about experiential. So I just wanna do experiential after experiential after experiential. So about eight years ago, we were doing this wonderful uh, retreat at Casa de Maria in uh, up uh, up by uh, Santa Barbara, beautiful retreat. And I brought, I think there were about 80 people that came up for this retreat. And (laughs) it was the first day of the, we had the night before the big fire pit and everybody was excited. We get breakfast is over and I'm walking towards where the first workshop is. And my assistant minister at the time came up to me. She was passing me and she said, I am so excited for your workshop. I said, I am too. I said, and she, and she said, somehow she said it and I was like, but it's, it's on Thursday. This was like Monday. And she goes, it's today. It's right now. I was like, what do you mean it's right now? <laughs> She said, You're the opening workshop. I said, No, no. I put this whole program together. And I pulled out my phone and I'm like, look, oh, I'm the opening workshop. We did switch that. And I was like, and I, I I'm very spontaneous. And I thought, by Thursday, I'll have a whole different feeling of what everybody needs, and I'll create a workshop spontaneously. Well, now I had to create a workshop spontaneously in the next 10 minutes. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, James, procrastination. We need to get, get on top of this. And so um, I went and sat under this huge tree. And I just, um, and I wrote this in the book. I'm sitting under the tree and I'm like, okay, universe, what is what, what, what do you want me to do? And I just sat there and I closed my eyes and I did a breathing technique. And all of a sudden, these five questions came to me in the direct order I do them in in the book. And I'm, I'm on my phone with my you know thumbs, putting it all in my notes. And here are these five questions. And I was like, okay, I guess this is the workshop. And I walked into the workshop with my little iPhone and I was like, okay, um, I want everybody to lay on the floor. And I turned on the music and I, I just took them through a, a creative visualization and then started peppering in the five questions giving each question like 15 minutes and because it was like a two hour workshop and people are crying and I was like, oh wow, these questions are really intense. And I finished and everybody was so impressed and excited about the questions and I had all their notes and and I came clean. I said, well, just to be <laughs> honest, I just thought this up about 10 minutes ago. Well now about two hours ago. And so but then I started paying attention to those questions for myself. And I was about to go do a keynote in in Las Vegas and they wanted me to do a big workshop and I thought well why not I already have it <laughs> so I went and did the workshop there and again everybody on in mats laying all around me crying and and I had a I had um beautiful pianist there who played live music through the whole thing and one of the women from that workshop came up to me and said can I have those five questions can could you send them to me and then she said you really need to turn this into a book and this was like eight years ago and I was like I will I will turn this into a book so I started writing the book and it it was I thought I did a good job (laughs) I wrote the book and then I gave it to the important people in my life the editors and people that I I respect every one of them to a T said it's good But it's not there yet there's something missing i was like well what's missing the five questions they're right there i'm I'm like do it now that's actually it's our vision statement mission statement do it now and so um i did the book and but it wasn't and so now it's 2018 and i've just written the 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 next draft of the book and i thought you know what i'm gonna give it to nora my daughter I said, I'm going to give it to Nora because she's young. All these people are old. They don't know what's really what the young people want. And she, she has a better perspective. So I give it to Nora. <clears throat> she reads it. And she gets back to me and she's like, Dad, I love it. It is so great. And there's something missing about it. I can't put my finger on it. I was like, unbelievable. She's right. So, And then less than a month later, she died. And then I had a connection to the book to her and I couldn't even look at the book. I couldn't, mm. I just couldn't do it. could not do it. And so um, a year later I was on, on a, on a, a river boat, no, on a houseboat in, in the uh, grand Canyon Lake, uh, Lake Powell. And I thought I'm going to go, I'm going to try to write this book, how I used it during Nora's passing. And I wrote the first version. And and that was four years ago. And then that didn't feel right. And then I wrote the second version and that didn't feel right. And then I sent the version to an agent who went nuts over it and said, oh my God, this is, this is amazing. We, I, I, wanna, I wanna rep you. And she did. And I went through all these publishing houses that loved the book, but wanted me to write it this way, wanted me to change it to this. Another person said, you should really just turn this book into a grief book. And I was like, I don't think we need another book on grief. And that's not what this book is. And finally, I ended my contract, took it back, and um, had a very interesting thought, which is, I'm just going to write the book I wanted to write. And then the second half of the book is going to be my journey with Nora through her five days, ironically, the five days it took her to pass. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. And when I finished it, it was done. And we published it. And it has been really going like wildfire. This person tells this person, this person reads it. I've get, I got a call from a woman in New York who I don't know. And she said, no, I got a call from someone I do know who said, oh my God, I just finished your book. I said, oh, how did you know about it? I haven't really done the publicity yet. And she goes, a friend of mine already read it. And so um, so that's been the journey. And now, thank you for putting that up there, Michael. So. Everybody who's listening to this and who's part of Ali's community and my community who are watching, um, you can click on this and go to this this uh, link and you can upload, download a free chapter and just get a sense of what the book is about. and then uh, then you'll know if you want to read the whole book. So I wanted to give that away today so people could get a sense of what the book is about. so yeah. um so that's where I am today. This book, I'm about to do, I I can't really talk about it yet, but I am gonna do a TED talk based on the book. And um, I have an agent and a, a, a press agent who is booking me on a book tour to take the book around the country. Beautiful. Because the questions are important. And I'll tell you what the questions are. The first question is, why am I here? I use that 10 times a day. Why am I here? Something shows up in my life and I'm like, why am I here? What got me here? What brought me here? I take responsibility. Why am I sitting here with Ali on a Monday morning on Martin Luther King Day talking about all of this? There's a reason, and I don't have to know the answer, but the question will provoke an understanding. And the second question is, what wants to know me in this quantum field of ideas, You know, like Elizabeth Gilbert talks about in Big Magic? You're always being moved by ideas. Well, what wants to know me in this moment? Let's let's ask the universe, what do you want to know through me? And then what wants me to release it, which is always a big question. What's not mine to do? Which takes the next question, what is mine to do right now? Not like what's my purpose, what's mine to do as a long-term thing. What's mine to do right now in this moment? Um, And then the last question, which to me is the most provocative, (laughs) because people have so much trouble with this last question. Do I know how great I am? And I I just got teary-eyed thinking about that. (laughs) Because I think one of the greatest problems in our our generation, in our world, is self-esteem. Because most of us have been brought up in a religion that teaches us we are less than. And when you come into new thought, you come into quantum metaphysics, you start to understand how can you possibly less, be less than what you are made of, which is what everything is made of. And then I go back to my Catholic school where the nuns taught me, where is God? God is everywhere. Well, if God is everywhere, I have to be part of that everywhere. Therefore, I am that energy that God is. So, do I know how great I am? Mm. So there are the five questions and how they guide me through my whole life in every situation.
1: Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I, I just read that whole section in the book about how you use them um, as you went through those, those unthinkable, those devastating days with Nora. And I overlaid my experience with losing Adam. Um, yes. And so, you know, I, when we first chatted about you being on the show, and I thought, okay, we're going to talk about grief. We're going to go deep. But I'm just naturally not, you know, it's hard for me to stay on that, you know, grief vibe because I do know how great I am and I do know how great we are. As these radically unique, individualized, differentiated, you know, stardust beings, you know, we've got a lot, a lot to experience and a lot to bring forth and a lot to create and a lot of fun to have. And so there's this mix of, you know, how does someone that's been so lit up with these, you know, these metaphysical, Uh, principles or insights or quantum awareness then handle the the you know losing a child and so you know I Um. as I went through these five questions and you know it's like my two stories are bumping up against each other there's this this personality this mother that has lost her first child and found his his you know lifeless body Mm. but there's this part of me that's like you know, I must say in that moment and pondering your questions and, you know, seeing Adam. But his, you know, his essence wasn't there any longer. I was holding those two stories. Those paradigms were bumping up against each other in a very weird and mystical way. It's like I felt in that moment that why am I here? You know, I'm, I'm here because it's the only place I should be. God damn it. Like, Uh nobody, I don't want anyone else finding my son. That's my job. Like, so it was this this experience of I'm right where I need to be. And I, there were no tears. There was just a lot of kind of slow-mo feeling. And I really feel like that was a gift. One of the greatest gifts that I ever could have received is finding my son. And, you know, people let's say 95 and a half percent of the people were just like, what the hell are you talking about? You're doing a spiritual bypass. You're on mm-hmm. You're you're mm-hmm. obviously you've lost your mind, but I felt that to be such a blessing and a sacred moment. It was a realization for me that his journey was up, that he had made a choice. Right. And I honored that choice. I'm his mother. I'm like, I'm honoring maybe didn't agree with everything he did, but I have to honor those deeper soul decisions. And he made one. And so it's, you know, I can't say that I'm just on cloud nine with it all.
0: That's not it
1: at all.
0: And I so resonate with the way you just presented that that part of your story, because um, when Nora passed, there was a part of my mind that was like, James, you can't possibly live past this. You can't. Nora, Nora was a twin is a twin, my son and her. And, but Nora was like this, Nora and I had this special bond um, that, that I also have with my son, but there was something in Nora and I that, and everybody knew it, including my son. And there was a part of my critical brain that was saying, you need to, die you need to just stop you need to and yet um we had we had i had to keep going and do everything that had to be done and i had my son to also contend with and 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 show how we can get through this and then came the memorial service which i knew was going to just be torture and and yet and everybody said you do not need to do this um, we we let's pick a minister. And I was like, Do you really honestly think that I'm gonna let any other minister preside over the memorial for my daughter? And it happened less than a month after her passing. And I was sitting, I was sitting in my in her bedroom, which by the way, I'm in right now. I've turned it into my office. The <laughs> top half of the room is exactly as she left it. The bottom half is mine. And um I was sitting in this room. And I heard this voice and I just started laughing my husband came in he goes what's up why are you laughing I said and I told him so Nora and I used to go b- wedding gown shopping <laughs> how gay <laughs> could I be but but I wanted to go but see wedding gowns with her and so we used to go look at all the wedding gowns and I'd say I don't know that I'm going to really be able to marry you because oh my god I- I'll just be a barrel of tears up there trying to marry you and she goes you know my dad Every now and then you're going to have to grow a pair and do what happens. (laughs) And I was like, so I'm sitting in her bedroom and I was like, I was just thinking about, I should do this, Sarah. And all of a sudden I hear in my head, oh, please just grow a pair and do it. And I just started (laughs) laughing. I was like, all right, thank you. Good point. Um, So yeah, people don't, it is the most extraordinarily difficult, traumatic, horrifying, worst nightmare anyone could ever, ever have to go through to lose a child in any scenario. And I am aware of that. And it was my biggest fear. When people, you know, you'd you'd be in workshops and people go, what's your biggest fear? And I'm like that anything would ever happen to my children. That's my biggest fear. So now it's in front of me. And unless you have gone through that, you can't possibly know what goes through people's minds. And you know, we talked about grief for a second, you said we didn't wanna talk about grief on this program. But I think grief, grief, I mean, you know, that room was filled with people. But for some reason, your your grief and my grief, not that it was actively out there, put us sitting next to each other in a row where mm. all of a sudden, everything about us came out. I mean, mm. I, I don't know almost anybody else from that whole conference, but somehow, you and I got pulled into the vortex of sharing with me, your son also died and my daughter had died and we were like, so there's a universal energy, a quantum vibration that will always bring you to where you need to go. Why am I here? Because I need to be here.
1: Hmm. Well, yeah, thanks for for bringing back that sweet memory and tying it together and I can only imagine that Nora and Adam have, have something <laughs> to do with it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I have no doubt. No doubt. Probably Nora was like, hey, Adam, let's try to get them together. They could be good together. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, I can imagine um, the two of them just reveling and enjoying the fact that, that we're having this moment of, yeah. of remembering them and remembering – what we're to do as they've left, We you, you have Will and I have Alex and Chris, my two, and we get to show up and, and be the parent, be the friend, be the, the guide for them. And, you know, that's what, you know, as I think of Adam and possibly as you think of Nora, there's a legacy. You know, I'm mm-hmm. continuing with all those, you know, Adam informs me. You know, if, I, if I'm feeling down or if I'm feeling up and remembering happy memories, Adam and his memories and somehow, you know, we don't know in the, this quantum soup what's really going on, how close they are, if they're actually talking to us. I mean, we we like to think that. I like to think but, that, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. and, but, you know, there is something m- magical for me in knowing that I'm here to continue on Adam's story, if you will, and Adam's energy. And somehow that gives me a little extra boost. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it adds Mm -hmm. to what I'm creating.
0: Well, his Um, energy is your energy. His story is your story. I think Nora's story is my story. And is because there's really only one story ever going on. Yeah, we just all individuated. Exactly.
1: So we are right at the end of the hour. And I like to end with this, you know, the song, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. Oh, yes. What does the world need now? Aside for love, sweet love, because, you know, we all need that. But here at the growing edge, you know, what does humanity really need right now?
0: I think humanity needs understanding. I think humanity needs to remember who it is. Mm -hmm. Because I think the more we all remember who we are, from a deeper spiritual level, once we realize how great we are, once we realize who we are, we see that in everyone else. And the world would be a much happier place if we realized that every single person we looked at was as great as we are.
1: Perfect. Thank you, James.
0: My pleasure. And thank you for having me.
1: (laughs) You are so welcome. And you can go to James's website to find the book and find out more about him and the wonderful classes that he teaches. And thank you for being here today, our viewers. And next week I have the beautiful Tannis Halliwell. She is an author and um, she speaks to leprechauns, if you can believe that. That'll be fun. (laughs) So thanks everyone. Peace and blessings to you and lots of love.
0: Bye-bye free my mind, open my heart with the whispers of truth, to
1: live a conscious life, to live a conscious life, on the
0: growing
1: edge.